Welcome to Harbour. We are a progressive Christian faith community based in Carrickfergus, Northern Ireland. You can also find us at harbourfaith.com. I would like to reflect for a few moments on the gospel passage that we read. It was one passage, but contains obviously two stories. The first story kind of comes as a surprise to Jesus. We're early on in the gospel. We're only at chapter six, but it's been kind of a whirlwind tour up until this point. You read in Mark that suddenly Jesus was here and instantly he was there and immediately he was over here and he was doing miracles, performing signs and wonders, preaching, teaching, and the crowds were astonished. And then our passage picks up in chapter 6, where we're told that Jesus goes from that place, that place of miracles, that place of his message being received with fervor and enthusiasm, that space Jesus goes from and into a new place. So he's come from a geographical place, but also a kind of a spiritual place, into a different geographical place, and apparently also a different spiritual place. Because we're told that the crowds here in Jesus' hometown are also astonished at his teaching and his miracles. They're surprised as much as the other crowds. But, we are told, they take offense. Why have they taken offense? Because they know him. This isn't a miracle man. This isn't a great prophet. This is just Jesus. We know his brothers and his sisters right here. We know his parents. He's just a carpenter. Come on, really? Jesus is kind of astonished by the reaction he received. And he says those famous words that we all know. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Meaning that Jesus has found honor in all the other places except when he's come home. And there is something about over-familiarity that does, as we would say, breed a certain contempt. Or at least can make us a little bit lukewarm. Is it possible for us even that our faith at times goes a bit lukewarm? Well, this is just our church. We've been coming for years. Sure, we know everyone on the pews. They're just ordinary people. Well, that's just Steve doing another sermon. We know where he comes from. We know his family. This is just our wee town, Carrick. We're not really expecting anything great or astounding to happen. We're not really that enthusiastic. And year after year, it's easy for our enthusiasm, our passion, to become toned down for no other reason except for familiarity and routine. And Jesus' response is that he can't seem to do as many miracles as he does in the other places. It's kind of funny because it says he could do no deed of power there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. I mean, that would be amazing over here. But for Jesus, that's kind of par for the course. Just healed a few people, no big deal. But he was amazed at their unbelief. Now, this negative experience for Jesus, and it was, it does seem to have been a negative experience, seems to prompt a change in tactic for Jesus. It's at this moment when he realizes, "Uh uh-oh, this message of repentance, of the coming of the kingdom, is being taken for granted. It's too localized. People are too familiar with it. We need to spread our wings. And so the very next story is when he calls his disciples to himself and says, 
let's get out of here. Let's spread our wings and move away from our place of familiarity. There's too much contempt building here. There's too much passivity. There's too much lukewarmness. Let's go on the road. And he sends them out two by two. At this point, Jesus is releasing control. Some of these disciples were only called to be Jesus' disciple a couple of chapters ago. And Jesus thinks, you know what, you're ready. It's not about studying for years and years and getting your theology degree and doing placements and having everything in a row and lined up. Let's go out there and see what happens. So he sends them out, prompted by this negative experience of things being too small, too familiar, and sends the disciples into unfamiliar, new, fresh territory to try and give a boost to his message. Maybe there's a message there for us too. Perhaps if you have found familiarity creeping in and a kind of a lukewarmness settle into the bones of your faith, maybe we need to go to unfamiliar territory. I don't know what that might be for you or or for me, but it seems to be a good thing to move away in our hearts or in our places just to somewhere a bit different, to have conversations we wouldn't otherwise have had to read books we may not have read, to see things we may not have seen before. But this is no ordinary adventure because Jesus does something peculiar, something that none of us would do if we were preparing for a long trip, for a journey somewhere. We check, we've got everything, passports, plane tickets, bags packed, hotels booked. But Jesus does the opposite. He says, no, don't take anything, just the bare necessities. In other words, the carriers of the message are made dependent on the hearers of the message. Jesus makes sure that those carrying the message of the gospel would be dependent on those who would hear it. Now, doesn't that tell us something? So often we think it's our job to get all our theology correct, to have the right answers, to be bulletproof in our presentation and self-reliant in our own belief, and then go and simply export our beliefs onto other people. That's what we think evangelism is a lot of the time, and why most of us are afraid to do it. But Jesus here seems to be saying, actually, go and allow yourself to have an impression made on you. Go and put yourself at the mercy of strangers. Go and rely on their hospitality, because that's how the gospel works. Not about coming from a place of power and strength and imposing one belief on another, but actually a place of vulnerability. In the passage in Corinthians, Paul specifically boasted in his weakness, in his vulnerability in sharing the gospel. And it's the same idea here. The disciples are made vulnerable so that they have to be gentle and respectful in the way that they present their message. Otherwise, no one's going to invite them home for lunch, are they? No one's going to look after them. They aren't going to have a place to stay for the night. And I love that. They can't go arrogantly thinking they've got everything right. They have to go on a journey, a respectful journey, but nonetheless with a message. They do have a message to tell. And so do we. By the way, there's a little bit where Jesus says, look, if a town doesn't receive you, if a town rejects this message, well, then just shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next place. 
Now that sounds like a bit of a, a negative thing, a bit of a hostile act, doesn't it? Shaking the dust off your feet. And we would use it in a kind of a hostile way. But in those days, to use a phrase like that probably meant something similar to what we would say is uh, to wash your hands of something. Interestingly, we know where that phrase comes from. Pilate washing his hands of the decision he was about to make with Jesus. But that wasn't a phrase yet. But for us, we would just say, look, that didn't work out. Wash your hands of it. Move on. In other words, don't feel it's your responsibility to make them accept your message. There's a kind of calmness about Jesus, a relaxed approach to this sharing of the gospel. Quite different, I think, from our sometimes overly intense and insistent approach in sharing our faith. The third point is to say, what actually was the message? What did the disciples, these messengers, vulnerable messengers sent two by two, what did they actually tell people? Because they wouldn't have said, hey, did you know Jesus died for your sins and went to heaven, and if you want to go to heaven after you die, just believe in the resurrection. That wouldn't have been part of their message because none of that had happened yet. Their message, nevertheless, was in their own words. In verse 12, it tells us, So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. That's it. That's what they told people to do, to repent. Now, by repent, they couldn't have meant, say sorry for your sins and believe in the risen Lord Jesus, which is what we sometimes think repent only means, because that hadn't happened. So what did they mean by repent? What did Jesus mean when he said repent? What did John the Baptist mean when he said repent? Because Mark actually begins with John the Baptist's preaching. And Jesus, both John the Baptist and Jesus, begin with these words, repent, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. But it's a difficult word even in English. The Greek's not that much better. In Greek we have metanoia, which is we eventually get the English from, which means to change or to think again. But of course Jesus wouldn't have spoken Greek, he would have spoken Aramaic. And in the Aramaic it's teshuva. And teshuva means simply to return. So it's not just a change, it's a change in the sense of coming home, returning. So whenever John the Baptist and Jesus said, come home, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Return, for the kingdom of God is coming. What did they mean? What did the disciples mean when they said it? The answer to the question is actually quite simple because we aren't the first people to ask it. The very first people who heard John the Baptist and Jesus say these words also asked, what do you mean? What should we actually do? This vague teshuva, return home. What does that look like for us? In Luke 3, we can read people asking this question and we can read the response given. The crowds asked him, what then should we do? What do you mean by return home? In reply, he said to them, and listen to this, because this is the meaning of repentance. Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. 
So that's one thing. Even tax collectors came to be baptized and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? How should we repent? What would it look like for us as tax collectors to repent? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. In other words, don't be greedy. Soldiers, another group of people, also asked him, what about us and we? What should we do? What does repentance, metanoia, teshuva, returning home, what does it actually mean for us? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, as some soldiers were prone to do. And be satisfied with your wages, as many soldiers weren't. Can you see the link between all those things? The responses given to what does repentance look like? How should we change? The responses actually start being compassionate. Share your stuff. Don't be greedy and don't take advantage of people. And be content. So when we're not doing those things, when we're doing the opposite of all those things, that's what you might think of as sinful living, I guess. Destructive, hurtful living for us and for our neighbors. But when you do the things that John the Baptist and Jesus called us to do, and that Jesus reiterates in the Sermon on the Mount, that's what repentance actually looks like. Now that means that the disciples went and told everyone in the villages to do that. Hey guys, if you've got a lot of stuff, make sure you share it. If you've got tax collectors, they shouldn't extort, they should be satisfied. Soldiers in this village, don't take advantage of people. Why? What is the reason? And this is crucial. And I'm nearly finished with this. Not so that, having checked all these boxes and done all these good deeds, we can go to heaven one day after we die. That isn't the reason given. It just isn't. Not that that shouldn't be a part of our faith in some shape or form, but it is not the point of repentance, at least not according to Jesus or John the Baptist, and probably not according to the disciples. Not so that you might go to heaven after you die one day because you've done all these good things, but because the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the kingdom of God, says Jesus, says John the Baptist, says the disciples, is breaking in. Here and now, the current worldview is being changed. The dominant worldview where people are selfish and the rich get ahead and the strong get ahead and the powerful get ahead is being flipped on its head. It is being changed and renewed under your feet. So you need to get on board. The coming kingdom that is coming, no matter what we do, that is arriving, is going to be a kingdom that runs on the currency of love, of compassion, of mercy, of kindness, of joy, of faithfulness, that is how people will get ahead in the new kingdom. So start living that way now. Not so that you can go there one day, but because it's at hand here and now and coming and coming. And the more stock we have in the coming kingdom here and now, the more easy our transition into that kingdom will be. So come home. That's what we were created for. This is who we are with the Imago Dei, the image of God in every single one of us, all humanity. We are created for that kind of life. 
Not the meritocracy, whether strong, wealthy, and rich, and athletic, and tall, and good-looking, and well-born people get ahead at the expense of everyone else. No, that's not how we're built. We're built for something else. And the place we call home, the Imago Dei, the image of God, is coming to get us. It's coming for all of us. So repent, change, stop living the other way, because that worldview is breaking apart and a new one is emerging. And it's like a mustard seed spreading, Jesus says, all over the place, unpredictably sprouting here and there, just as unpredictably as his disciples were almost erratically sent across the countryside, randomly depending on the kindness of strangers to spread their message of compassion and kindness. May we be a people who are enthusiastic and passionate about our faith. May we be saved from falling into a kind of lukewarm complacency because we're familiar with it all and we've said all the words before and we know everyone and we're so used to this message. Can we leave that place as the disciples did and go to new places in our headspace, in our hearts and maybe even physically to explore an adventure of sharing our faith not in a dominant, overbearing way, but in a respectful, kind, honest and open way. May we live compassionate and caring lives, ever mindful that the kingdom is at hand. It's here. May we repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's pray.